So we have been walking through this theme of growing through adversity. I get the, the privilege of bringing it to a close in terms of a, the theme that we've been exploring. And one of the things I, I just kind of just kept resonating within me as I was, uh, you know, enjoying and receiving the series as well. And even as I was thinking about how to approach this weekend is that the more and more I get to walk this faith journey out, um, the more and more I, it's something about God starts to becoming a little bit more clearly, a little bit more clear. And that is that, you know, God has a lot of times, and some of us, we may be on the precipice of just even being open to him. And if that's the case, that's wonderful. Because a lot of times we, when we think of God, when we start becoming open to him, what we are uh, confronted with is the reality that he is a, a God who is gracious, loving, and kind. And it's quite surprising if what we expect is very different. But he, he promises to us uh, great things. I mean, amazing things. Anyone who, who embraces him, who embraces Jesus in their lives, God gives the promise, and Jesus said it himself, of freedom of soul. And he came to give freedom to those who are captive. He gives that as a promise. He says, you know, if, if anybody comes to him and receives him, he's, he says to, to those who do that, he gives the promise of abundant life of a soul that becomes wealthy despite the physical circumstances or external factors in our lives. He says there is this promise that when God is invited into somebody's life, an abundance of life erupts through their soul, which is wonderful. And God will do that to us. He, he will sometimes entice us or compel us. He'll draw us near. He'll, he'll deposit something of a longing within us. And we in itself, that in itself, being able to recognize that and embrace that is a good thing. But as he does that, he has a way of, on one hand, promising something to us. And on the other hand, asking us to contend for the very thing he's promised. Yeah, it seems to me like God doesn't have a problem with saying, do you, look, here is your promise. Do you want it? We say yes. And he says, now fight for it. Now, now I want you to exert some effort to realize that in your own life, to incorporate it into the everydayness of your life. You have to activate this. You have to roll up your sleeves and get, them, get your hands dirty to figure out what it looks like to live this out. And right there in that place of, on one hand, hearing something of his promise spoken into our soul, and on the other hand, recognizing he's inviting us at the same time to, to decide whether or not it's worth the fight. He gives us that, that privilege or responsibility, however we might want to look at it. We get the decision. We get to decide if what he is trying to do in our lives is worth our full engagement. And when we decide, by the way, to step forward with him, we end up experiencing certain things, resistance and obstacles and challenges that that is what, generally speaking, ends up getting categorized as adversity in our lives. Is when we start to move into God, almost sometimes it seems like pursuing God means inviting sometimes more adversity than we had before. And if we're not careful, it can get a little confusing there and even discouraging. And, you know, I was impacted by this idea, this principle, as it were, 
um, several years ago, because it was about two years ago, around this time of year, early on in the first quarter of the year, in which I was sat down 2015 in a room with our lead pastor and several other team mates of the executive team. And I was being asked if I would be willing to step in to a portion of his leadership as he was about to step away on a sabbatical. And many of us may or may not know, but he had vocal surgery that needed, uh, he needed time to recuperate. And that ended up extending into a, a major portion of the year. And I remember sitting in that room being, being asked if I would be willing to do this. And on one hand, I, I think I responded the way anybody who cares about their family or cares about their community would respond, which is what, what's needed, I'll do it. And there was something inside of me that just said, yeah, yeah, uh, sure, let's do this. And it was a portion with a team of people, which, by the way, our team was amazing and continues to be an amazing group of people who are extremely faithful and very um, talented in what they do. But I remember that initial kind of just uh, adrenaline rushing through me and deciding on the spot, yeah, I'm going to do it. He, he, Pastor Terry needs to go on sabbatical. I'm going to step in for a portion of time, in a portion of what his, his duties are. And some of that might be platform related. Okay. And I remember just kind of doing that on the spot and feeling like, yes, this is right. This is the right thing to do. I, I think God's in this. I, I feel the conviction. And as I, I remember after that, as time wore on, something else started to settle in. Um, something else started to creep up within me. It was actually, uh, I started to re realize what I had just committed myself to. Um, and I started getting nervous about it and started getting scared. I started to look at the challenges ahead and the, the possibilities and the risks that were involved. And I felt a little bit, you know, more anxious. And I remember at the time I was attending a class in my seminary studies in which the professor would begin every class session by opening up and asking the class, does anybody have a prayer request? And I generally felt like, you know, I wanted to other classmates to ask for their requests. And, and so I generally didn't really make mine known. I was more just kind of there to participate and receive from the class. But this time um, I was feeling just under pressure. I was feeling a lot of nerves going on, a lot of fear. And so he asked the question, does anybody have a prayer request this week? Anybody would like prayer? And so I went ahead, raised my hand. And this was when I started to realize how I was viewing this was a little different than how others were viewing this. Because I remember raising my hand and saying, um, you know, and I was explaining to them, uh, well, something's going on in our church, and this is confidential, but in a, in a couple weeks, Pastor Terry, our lead pastor, who's been there for over 25 years as a lead pastor, is um, going to go into vocal surgery, and he's going to be taking a much-needed sabbatical. And... Um, and, you know, I'm going to need to step in and assume some of his responsibilities. And so I would just, I would love prayer. And, uh, you know, I'm a little bit nervous about it. I'm kind of scared, to be honest with you. And, and I'm sharing this with a group of classmates that I've known a little bit, but I feel like I'm being pretty vulnerable. And I'm sharing this because I would love their support and their, their prayers on my behalf and on our behalf. And, and, and I'm sharing this more fearful. And what their reaction was, it was not what I expected. Their reaction was one of excitement. And so I'm saying, um, you know, I'm a little bit concerned about this. And they're saying, wow, that's amazing, Lewis. <laughs> and I said, okay, maybe you didn't understand. Um, <laughs> our lead pastor, who's been there almost for about three decades now, um, is going on sabbatical. I've known no one else 
as my pastor. I've been there since my teen years. And, you know, they're asking me to step into a portion of his role, big shoes to fill. Yeah, yeah, no, we heard you. <laughs> okay, it's amazing, Lewis. This is amazing. I said, okay, um, one last time, guys. Let me just, <laughs> one last time. He, the community doesn't know anyone else for over 25 years now. And he's taking a sabbatical. It, won't, it means he won't be there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's fantastic. He needs it. He deserves it. Wow, that's great. Your lead pastor gets to take a break for an extended period of time. Man, that's awesome. Okay. Um, I have to assume, which means I have to do more. Uh, and I have to do stuff I'm not really comfortable or used to doing. And for an extended period of time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, that's fantastic. We are so excited for you. I said, okay, you know what? We're not going to be in agreement here. Um, so how about this? Can you just uh, pray for me? Can, can you just do that? They said, yeah, yeah. So they prayed. God, thank you. Thank you for what you're doing at Cornerstone, for what you've done through that ministry. Thank you for giving Pastor Terry this time to be able to rest, to be able to refresh, to be able to rejuvenate. We thank you, God, for giving Lewis this opportunity. And they go on and on with their gratitude, you know. And, and I'm sitting there and I'm saying, God, that's not what I had in mind, you know. Uh, and that's when I kind of just it hit me. We're in two different places here. We're seeing things differently. I remember several... Days after that, finding myself in a coffee shop and I was sitting there with a trusted leader that, that I've come to deeply respect, a close friend of Pastor Terry, and I'm, I'm talking with him. This person is, is experienced and seasoned in ministry and leadership. He knows what it, what it looks like. He's walked it out. And I remember kind of just talking to him and I decided I felt safe. And, you know, when we feel safe, we, we feel comfortable enough to let our guard down a bit. And so I decided to test the waters a little bit. And I, I said, and so I, I let out one fear that I thought, okay, let's see how this goes. Now I'm, this is, I'm concerned about this. You know, it wasn't that big a deal. It didn't seem to phase him. I said, oh, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I said, oh, okay. So I went into my toolbox and said, okay, here's a bigger one. Here's a bigger concern I have. Oh, yeah, 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 I can see that. I can see that. Didn't phase him. I said, okay. And I decided to get more honest. Here are my concerns, here are my fears, here are my anxieties. And I'll tell you what, at the end of the day, the, re the reality is I'm looking at what's ahead. And I don't know if I have what it takes. And he says, all right. And he said to me something in that moment that I had heard before, but it ended up striking me in a way Perhaps it was because it was the right word for that specific moment in time. But he ends up leaning to me with a knowing smile, and he says, Louis, Louis, I understand what you're saying. But you have to understand, leadership isn't learned through reading books. It's learned in the field of testing. And you, which is, was true, it's true, you're seeking a degree in theology in leadership development. You're going to go to school now in a different way. You're not seeing this quite the same way you should. He said, this is actually an opportunity for you. And it, it just hit me. It hit me. It might be obvious to some. 
It might make sense to others, but can you hear this? That sometimes a word that you have heard thousands of times before, if it is delivered in the right exact moment of need, there was something in that word that it just felt like it was divinely fueled and empowered for me right at that moment. And it ended up becoming a word that I lived off of to be able to, to start leaning into that. And it confirmed also something that God was putting his finger on in my life. See, I wanted to pursue this degree or a knowledge base to be able to understand what leadership is all about in a ministry context, in a church setting. And if you could hear this, without the requirement of having field experience. And I share that because I think we, we, if we are in our most honest moments, we desire the fruit a lot of times of a promise or a hope, an aspiration that we sense God is depositing in us or is calling us toward. He may give us a vision of a, of a life. He is saying, this can be yours. And he wants that for us. And he promises it to us. And we might be compelled. It might be the very reason we even began in this faith journey to begin with. But then what happens is that we can so easily drop into that place in which we want it without the necessary experiences and tests that come in the field. I think we can identify with the reality that whether in business or in relationship or even in our faith, we desire the highest result with the least amount of effort. Are you with me? A lot of times we can think about how to maximize our leverage. We love that how to get the greatest amount of output with the least amount of effort. And if we're not careful, we end, up, we end up dropping into this. Now, it might be for a variety of valid reasons. It's not just black and white. It might be because we simply do not have the time to put the necessary energy and effort required. Or it might be because we're not sure we're ready to go all in on something. And so what we end up doing is we say, you know what, this sounds good, but I'm going to hedge my bet over here as well when what's actually being asked of us is not a piece of us, but all of us. It might be that we end up thinking of ourselves just in the way we behave, in the way we look at life. We're maybe more cautious by nature and we want to hold out for something that's better. Whatever the reason might be, I think it is safe to say that because of this way of thinking about life and especially about our faith, when we desire the highest amount of output or results with the least amount of effort and we engage our faith journey in this way, what ends up happening, what can happen, not always, but certainly sometimes, is that we can start misinterpreting resistance, obstacles, challenges, and adversity as a reason to stop moving forward in what we initially felt compelled to do and to double-check, is this God or not? Maybe I have it wrong. Because fundamentally, what that speaks to, and we may not all, this may not be true of all of us, but I have found it to be true. Is that what it speaks to is this idea if God is in it, it shouldn't be this hard. Right? Right? I mean, that is what God's blessing means. God's blessing equals not hard. Right? That's what it means when we see it. You're blessed means you had it easy. It's actually not quite that way. 
in order to move into what God may want to bless us with, he may actually invite us and ask us to step into the very thing we would rather run away from, rather avoid, rather not experience. This is, um, this is, this is where the rubber meets the road, as it were. This is why a lot of times he will promise us something and then ask us to grow into it through the adversity in our lives. And this is why I love the scriptures personally, because they reveal human nature in such an unvarnished, raw way, and it also reveals God's goodness. In fact, this passage we're going to take a look at here together is found in the Older Testament, and it speaks of this account of this episode that happened in Israel's history that I think does just that. It shows us a bit of a, of a contrast of two different ways of looking at the adversity before us. As God asks us to move into the promise he gives us. Now, just so we understand, Israel was a people that was um, enslaved by Egypt for over four centuries at this point in their history. God sends a man named Moses to deliver them out, ends up doing amazing, miraculous things. And in that moment in history, God tells Moses, this is the moment I will give them the promised land. That is why it is called that. It is land that was promised to Israel. Now, it was promised not to the nation of Israel, but to a person named Abraham. And their descendants, his descendants, were the people of Israel. And God saying to Moses, now is the time for them to realize this promise. They're going to have to step into it. And he takes them to the precipice of this land. And Moses wisely sends 12 spies into the land to make some reconnaissance work. Their report is what we're going to interact with here together. And if you read in Numbers 13, we're told in verse 27 that this was their report to Moses. We enter the land you sent us to explore, and it is indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here is the kind of fruit it produces. But the people living there are powerful, and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there. The descendants of Anak means nothing to us, it means a whole lot to them. It meant an awful lot to them. The Amalekites live in the Negev, and the Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country. They're surrounding the entire land. The Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and along the Jordan Valley. It is a rather mixed report. On one hand, you're right. The land is bountiful. It's rich with cattle and produce and vegetation. It gives rich harvest. Look at this fruit. On the other hand, um, it's not going to be easy. Because... Uh, they are a powerful people with strong fortifications and defenses that we think are impenetrable. In fact, they, they are all over the land. And as an aside, we have to understand that this promise God gives Israel to, we might see it as displacing a people group to conquer a land promised to them, is not, lest we confuse things, it's not because Israel somehow has earned it or deserved it. In fact, God tells Moses to tell the people of Israel there are two reasons why this is happening. One, because God promised it to Abraham and he's going to keep his promise. Two, not because you deserve it or earn it, but because of the, and he says this, he uses this language, because of the wickedness and evil that exists in that land. The injustice has given God notice and now he is wanting to institute justice in the land. And just so we understand, 
Israel's incapacity, the, the lack of capability they had to maintain justice in the land, is the very reason they end up becoming displaced hundreds of years later. So God being a just God keeps his promise without being partial. It's layered, this account, with what's going on. But 10 end up emphasizing not the goodness of the land, but the difficulty of the challenge before them. All of them, it seems, are bent on this rather negative outlook, except one. We're told in verse 30, Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Let, let's go at once to take the land, he said. We can certainly conquer it. But the other men who had explored the land with him disagreed. We can't go up against them. They're stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. This is the report they gave to the rest of the country. All the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers. And I'll tell you what, that's what they thought too. You get the sense that these 10 spies were essentially saying, you know what? Let's put it this way. There, there's no way, Caleb, you're seeing things through rose-colored glasses, blue skies everywhere. You don't understand. They're giants. In fact, we didn't just think they were giants. They thought <laughs> they were giants. You get the sense they looked at, oh, what are you doing here? Hey, little guy, get your fruit. Go ahead, go back. That's the sense you get. They were mocked, belittled, demeaned, condescended. And they write this report and they tell the entire people. Now, this outlook on their perspective is actually something I resonate with far more than I would like to admit. Because if we put ourselves in their shoes, what do we see? We see a people group who had just stepped out of captivity. All they had known for generation upon generation was life as a slave. They had not had models of freedom. They had not had models of success and overcoming and conquering. They had never seen it for themselves, what it looks like to overcome a challenge. All they had experienced is that a nation more powerful than they had successfully overpowered them and oppressed them for hundreds of years. And if their recent past said that God was on the move in their life, well, the greater story of their life, well, it, it, it overshadowed any glimpse of optimism they could muster. See, they were being asked to risk the very safety they had just recently received in the hopes of securing a future of freedom and hope. And they determined that was a risk they were not willing to take. And they send this report. And the fear ends up not just going forth from their own hearts, but it ends up infecting the rest of the community. We're told in verse 1 of Numbers 14 that the, then the whole community began weeping aloud and they cried all night upon hearing this report. Nothing had happened, by the way. Not one thing had occurred. This simply occurred by them looking into the future at their challenge. 
And the entire community, the entire night cries out. Their voices rose in great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron, and their fear gives voice. If only we had died in Egypt or even here in the wilderness, they complained. Why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us die in battle? Our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? This... This situation that they were perceiving in front of them was being interpreted through not just concern. And concern ends up becoming anxiety. Anxiety becomes fear. Fear becomes the very stream that exposes the underlying core of why they were terrified. And they give voice. Their pain and their brokenness, their wounds, their cynicism gives voice to a fear that I think... um, ripples throughout human history because on the, prim- on the pr- precipice of a future, they are terrified. What do they say? God is against us. Man, I knew it. Man, I knew it. I knew it. How dare I be fooled? I knew it. God, see, We thought he was with, no, he's out to destroy us. Do you not see how big those challenges are? He's out to destroy us. Why is he doing this? Why is he against us? And in that fear, in that place of acknowledging, by the way, their concern wasn't the giant. Their concern was that God was not with them. And they know if God is not with them, that they are doomed from the get-go. And so what happens? They end up, their fear actually reveals a core truth. They start to discover freedom is not as easy as captivity. Not when challenges show up. No. And what happens? That ends up bringing them to this place of what? Longing for the days when they did not need to take personal responsibility. They long for the days when, um, when they were simply told what to do. They long for the days when risk facing giants, conquering lands, wasn't even a possibility. Oh, they long for the days when they could at least have the comfort of what they knew. Oh, they long for what we can all find ourselves longing for in moments of adversity. You know what they long for? They long for the familiar. And in the face of adversity, the familiar, no matter how broken or painful it might be, it always looks enticing when the future is uncertain. that then they plotted amongst themselves let's choose a new leader and go back to Egypt then Moses and Aaron fell face down on the ground before the whole community of Israel two of the men who had explored the land Joshua son of Nun and Caleb son of Jephunneh tore their clothing and they said to all the people of Israel the land we travel through and explored is a wonderful land what are you doing look at that it's right there at our fingertips we just need to go for it and if the Lord is pleased with us which they are assuming and saying he is he will bring us safely into that land and give it to us. It is a rich land flowing with milk and honey. It's right there. Do not rebel against the Lord and don't be afraid of the people of the land. And then look at this phrase. They are only helpless. Pray to us. 
They have no protection, but the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. This account ends up becoming a study of contrast. One group of people see the challenges up ahead. God is asking them to step into them, and they see their future is destruction. The other group, they see the challenges up ahead. God is asking them to step into it, and they see instruction. God's with us. He didn't lead us out for vain. He's going to give it to us. But we got to go. We got to go for it. Ah, this account is so rich. There's so many things we can glean from it. But in our remaining moments, I'd like us to just focus in in terms of how we might do this through the idea of growing through adversity. I just want to put on the board here, growth through adversity happens when we fuel our endurance with hope in God. This is what we're being shown here. When our endurance is fueled by hope in God. Uh, In contrast to what? Anxiety and fear. Because some of us, boy, we are driven. But you know what drives us? We're so good. We're so productive when we are anxious and afraid. Some of us are very good at seeing the things that scare us as we, we proactively go after them and we solve them before our fear can be realized. And that creates, some, some have coined the phrase, paranoid productivity. Now, there is a benefit to having undergirding anxiety always flowing through us. It, it's what prevents us from resting on our laurels and being caught off guard. And that in itself can do that. That's one side of the coin of anxiety and fear. It can drive us. The other side of the coin is that it can actually end up becoming the source of our defeat because it becomes the, the, the catapult to the thought, why, I don't even know if this is worth it. So why even try? And in that place, we end up quitting. And the very thing we initiated. And when we end up quitting, the first time, it's rather difficult. The second time, it's a little less so. The third time, it's become a habit. It becomes a little too easy to do. You see, anxiety, if anxiety is productive or it's defeating on one hand, you know what it ends up ultimately having its effect on is it gives us a constant sense of insecurity and it undermines our confidence. If we are driven by our fear and anxiety, it actually ends up hollowing out our sense of courage and hope. Because inevitably we come to the place where we realize, (laughs) I don't know if I can go on much longer. You see, in contrast, what do we see? We see that um, Caleb and Joshua discovered something different. They, They looked in the future and they fueled their hope with God. The reality that God would never leave them nor forsake them. The reality that God is for them, not against them. The reality that God is good and just and gracious and merciful that his love is abundant. And they see the future. They see the future. They don't see something to run away from. They are fueled with courage and they see a preferred future to step into. And they are fueled not so much by the the desire to run away from the past, but by the very thing scares others. They say, no, I will run right into it. And we should all go do this together. If God has promised it, then God will give it. But it requires us to go. 
It, it means that hope, listen, hope in God will always be more powerful than our capacities, anxieties, and resources. It means that hope in God shows us a future that is worth moving toward. It gives us the courage we need. It gives us a reason to remain under the pressure we might be feeling. It reminds us, listen, that adversity is never in vain. Hope in God will remind us that this will also be to our benefit. If that is the case, if that is what hope in God gives us, then it also, listen, it also positions us to be open to the beautiful thing God desires to do in our lives. Because when we posture ourselves in a place of being willing, being open to what God is doing, we grow through adversity when we become open to the beautiful thing God desires to do in our lives. Um... This is what sticks out to me is that Caleb and Joshua were not desiring the past. They were desiring what God was going to do in the future. And, you know, they weren't in denial about how difficult it was going to be. They understood the struggle was part of the process. They understood the implications in front of them. But their picture of the future was dominated by what God was going to do not their own capacities, not their own sense of uh, strength. I, I remember several years ago when I was walking this, that season out, and it seems like our entire community experienced that in a different way, unique way, each individually. But I remember reading different books on leadership, and one of them stuck out to me. It was written by um, a former Navy SEAL. His name is Eric Wrighton, and he spoke about resilience he wrote this book on resilience. And I, I used to think resilience was the ability to bounce back up to exactly to where one was. But he ends up saying this, and I, I asked him to put this up there. What happens to us becomes part of us. Resilient people do not bounce back from hard experiences. They find healthy ways to integrate them into their lives. Saying there's a difference. We think resilience means we fell, we failed, we stumbled, and we bounce back up and we go back to where we used to be. He says, no, no, that's not resilience. Resilience is something happens to us, and instead of resisting or denying it, we incorporate it into who we are, and it becomes part of our story. And it becomes something that gives us a more well-rounded perspective on life. It enhances us. It strengthens us. It empowers us. Because now we have experienced it. And this is what I think sticks out to me, is that when God is involved, you know what happens? And we become open to what he wants to do. Our wounds become the place where compassion can become a part of us. Our brokenness can become the place where others receive grace and mercy through us. Our weaknesses become access points to others seeing what Jesus can do through a life that is willing and open. And we become people who no longer bemoan what has happened to us in the past, the mistakes we have made, or what others have done to us. But we become people who are no longer defined and bitter and resentful by the wounds and the scars and the different challenges we have faced. When grace is involved and God is invited in, something new is made, something beautiful and wonderful. And we become people, in fact, maybe those very wounds and those points of pain become the motivation for us to become people who pursue what is right and what is true and what is beautiful and what is holy and what is lovely and what is good and what is kind and what is gentle. And we become vessels of the master artist. All because we say, I deny not where I was or what happened to me. I surrender it to you. 
And when we do that, no pain, no tear, no bloodshed is ever lost on God. No adversity is in vain. And when we start to step into this together, we, we grow through our adversity when we contend for the very promise God has whispered into our soul. We become the people that say, God, I'm going to line up with your promise in my life. I'm going to line up with what you're trying to do in my life. Because God, listen, he promises abundant life to everyone, but it uniquely means something to each one of us. He promised freedom of soul to everyone, but it uniquely means something different to each one of us. And the question is, what is the promise that is living within our soul? And what does it look like for us to contend for it? Where he says, you, you will be a, a person who will be free in this area of your life. What does it look like for us to contend for that? You will be a person that will be generous in this way, kind in this way, forgiving in this way, forgiven in this way. What does it look like for us not simply to receive it, but to say, I'm going to take one step at a time. I'm going to move forward. And I'm going to make this a promise I live in. I see that land. And I want it. And because you're with me, it's worth the fight. With everything in me, it's worth the fight. While we do that, we grow through our adversity. And perhaps in our moments of weakness, perhaps in our moments of being overwhelmed, maybe this prayer will help us throughout the week. And here it is, our final prayer of the series. Lord, you have whispered your promise to me. You give me a future and hope. You do not desire destruction for me. Thank you for your grace. As I look into my future, I confess the challenges look bigger than I can handle. So I ask that you remind me of your faithfulness. As I take one step at a time, strengthen me with your hope. Yes, Lord, help me participate in the beautiful thing you are doing through my adversity. For I know it's worth the fight. In Jesus' name.